So please open your Bible at 1188, 1 Thessalonians chapter, four, uh, chapter 5, and let's pray as we come to look at this part of the Bible together. Living God, we ask this morning that you would help us to hear your word, that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe what you say, and believing what you say, we may follow your way in faithfulness, seeking your honor and glory in all we do. Speak to us this morning very clearly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are some of you here this morning, and you grew up learning the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So there's some of you here this morning, and you know some of the questions and the answers, and there are some of you here this morning, and you've never even heard of it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is that? Well, if you're not sure what it is, it's, it's a series of questions about the Christian faith and biblical answers to those questions. It was written in 1646 to 1647, and it was put together by a group of Scottish and English ministers and church members over in Westminster. So there's the shorter chasm, which is for children, short answers, short, short answers to big questions. Then there's the, the larger catechism, which is slightly longer questions to, to difficult questions. And then there's the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a summary of the teaching of the Bible for the church, which we as the Presbyterian Church subscribe to. Marty, why are you giving us a history lesson? Well, it's because of the first question in the catechism. Um, they put the, the most important question first. And the most important question is this, and I think they put it first because if you forget the rest of the questions and answers, at least you remember this one. I bet there's somebody here this morning. Yeah, number one, you know, and the rest, that's somewhere, somewhere in there. But what is the first question and answer in the catechism? It's this, what is man's chief end? Oh yeah, it's up there, Colin. Oh, very good, yeah. It was drilled into you, Colin, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, what is man's chief end? So the question said, listen, what is life all about? What's the most important thing in life for humans? What's life to be all about? What is the most important, significant thing that we can do with our lives? And the answer that the catechism gives is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then the larger catechism, it expands it a little bit and it says, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. So what are we made for? For the catechism, we're made to, to glorify God, to bring him honor with our lives, to, to think greatly of him in our life. And I reckon most of us, you know, we, we think a lot about that. But I think sometimes we, we kind of forget the second part of the answer. Man's chief end is, yes, to glorify God, but it's also to enjoy him. It's to enjoy him in the here and now and forever. It's to enjoy God in this life and also into eternity. Man's chief end is not just to glorify God, but it's also to enjoy him. The author and retired pastor, John Piper from the USA, he actually changes the answer to the catechism question. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. He's a Baptist. I guess he can do what he wants. But, but he changes the answer. And I love, actually, I love his answer. He changes the answer. The question is still, what is man's chief end? But he says, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And he goes on and he writes this. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us 
when we delight in him, when we enjoy him, when we're glad to be Christians, when we're delighted by all that he does, whenever that's you, whenever you're someone who enjoys God, then God is most glorified through us in that. And so this morning, as we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want us to focus in on just a few verses that are going to teach us how we can enjoy God more. There's some of you here this morning, and and for you, the idea of enjoying God is a a strange one. To enjoy God, you've, you've never really thought about it very much. And then there's some of you here, and you think, well, I enjoy God a little, but I'd like to enjoy Him more. Well, this morning, we're going to hone in on just a few verses that are going to teach us how to enjoy God more and more and more. But before we get to those verses, I think it's important that we just do a kind of brief overview of verses 12 to 22, just so you know what's happening in these verses. Um, whenever I was 18, um, I went on a lad's holiday. I'm not going to tell you any stories, but let's put it this way. There was 12 of us. I was 18. We were away from home for the first time. It was just chaos. But anyway, the thing that I had to do, this was before the days of Zoom and before the days of mobile phones. The thing that I had to do as soon as I arrived in Benidorm was I had to call my parents and let them know I was okay. So I did it. I was a good son. I went to the payphone and we had that chat. I'm here. We're fine. It's all good. And we had a bit of a conversation. And as you got to the end of the phone call, a little bleep started to happen. You know, there were 30 seconds left. The phone call was about to die. And in those 30 seconds, my mum could just say so much. And what she would say in those 30 seconds is she would say in little short sentences things that we'd spoken about at home in a much longer way. Now put your passport in the safe, make sure you wear sun cream, don't drink the tap water. It was a list, boom, 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 list, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. This little short, these short lists of things that I had to remember to do that we'd spoken about in much more depth before I got on the plane from Belfast International Airport. And as Paul comes to the last 30 seconds of the phone call with the Thessalonians, that's what he does here. He gives them lots of little reminders, lots of little sentences, just to remind them of the things that he taught them whenever he'd been with them a number of months ago, things that they were to do. So in verse 14, he reminds them how they're to treat the church leaders, the leaders in the church. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, oh no, it's verse 12 and 13. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. And then he goes on to say how they should treat one another. The end of verse 13, live with peace with each other. And then verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Then in verse 15, he reminds them what they're to avoid doing when they wrong each other, which is inevitable, by the way, in a church family, because we're all flawed. We're all going to wrong each other sometimes. But Paul reminds them with a sentence what they're to do. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to, uh, and to everyone else. And then we're going to skip the next few verses because they're the ones we're going to hone in on. But let's look at verse 19 to 21. There he reminds them how to listen to preaching and teaching in the church. Verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. So when you listen to this sermon this morning, when you leave here, hold on to the good. Hold on to those things that the Lord has said to you. And then finally, in verse 22, he reminds them of something vitally important that they're to do in, every, uh, in all of their life. Verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. So he's just reminding them with these little short sentences 
uh, of things that he talked at much more length than whenever he was with them. And then in the rest of the passage, he just says goodbye. It's the benediction. It's the closing. It's the, it's the I love you and, and, I, and I miss you and, and I'll hopefully see you soon. So he finishes off the letter like that. Now, there could be a lot of sermons in just these verses, um, but this morning we're just going to hone in on verses 16 to 18. And, and Paul doesn't make it clear exactly why he's, he's giving them these verses, but, but I think he's giving verses 16 to 18 to, to teach them how to enjoy God more and more in their lives. So let's have a look at them together. Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this morning we're going to unpack these verses. We're going to try to understand what exactly they mean and also what they don't mean. And this morning my hope is that we see how these things, how doing these things can help all of us here enjoy God more and more. So the first thing Paul says, verse 16, I mean let's face it, this looks like a completely impossible Instruction, doesn't it? Be joyful always. What? Or as every other translation, every other translation of the the English Bible says, it says, rejoice always. Now, there is a way to misunderstand this verse. And the way we can misunderstand this verse is that we can think that Paul is saying that as Christians, we should be happy all the time. We can misunderstand this verse and think that what Paul's saying here is that we should walk around and no matter what's happening in our lives, we should have a big smile on our face and a spring in our step. And the problem is that if we think that this is what Paul's saying, we are going to be miserable, guilty feeling Christians. Because the reality of life is that that's not how it always is, is it? The reality of life is that sometimes our life just goes completely wrong. That sometimes things happen which are hurtful and harmful. That sometimes our life doesn't work out as we want it to be. Is Paul saying here that whenever these things happen, we're to paint on a smile? I read of a minister this week who went to visit a member of his congregation. And this member of his congregation, this man's life was really falling apart. He was going through all sorts of really difficult things and and the minister went there as his pastor, as as the one who he can talk to, as the one to listen, as someone who, who wanted to get beyond the surface and really help this man with what he was going through. And when the minister said, listen, how are you really doing? How, how are you doing in the midst of all this? The man said, I'm just praising the Lord. I'm just praising the Lord. But the minister said he, he wasn't. This was a mask he'd put on. This was something he felt he had to say because he'd read Paul's words, rejoice always. Paul is not saying here that we need to put on a mask when life is hard. And how do we know that? How do we know that's definitely not what he's saying? It's because we can look at the life of Jesus. Many of you here will know that the New Testament is written in Greek. And the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is this one, rejoice always. It's got 11 letters, pantot kairite. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? 
But in the Greek version of the Bible, in the Greek translation, in the Greek text, this is the shortest verse. But what's the shortest verse in our English version? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. If you were transported into that moment in time, if you were part of the crowd there as Jesus gathered around Lazarus's grave and his tomb, and you looked at the face of Jesus, you would have seen tears rolling into his beard. You would have seen a forlorn face, uh, a face that, that wasn't smiling. You wouldn't have seen him put on a mask. You would have seen a grown man weeping and weeping and weeping. And not weeping because of the, the death of his friend necessarily, but weeping because death existed, because this wasn't how it was meant to be. Because everyone he loved was going to experience this. Jesus wept. Jesus did not walk around with a big smile on his face all the time. Do you remember how the prophet Isaiah described the Messiah who would come? As a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When the Lord Jesus was on earth and when he faced things that were hard, when he faced things that were difficult, when he, when he was facing things that, that ideally he didn't even want to go through, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't put on a smile. He didn't have a spring in his step. He wept. So it's important we get this morning that, that Paul, whenever he writes this to the Thessalonians and when he writes this to us, he's not saying, listen, as Christians, you need to all just paint on the smile all the time. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's getting at. What he's talking about is, is, is trying to enjoy God. So take it away from everyday circumstances and, and take it away from this idea of having to paint on a smile. He's trying to teach us how to enjoy God more. And so what he's actually t encouraging us to do here, I think, is to rejoice in the Lord. It's to rejoice in the Lord. Earlier in our prayers, we, we prayed about the things we enjoy. Our favorite food, our favorite drinks, our, our friends, our family, our hobbies. There's lots of stuff in life which God has really given us to enjoy and it's wonderful and we're thankful to him for it. But what Paul, I think, is encouraging us to do if we want to enjoy God more and more is to start to delight in him. To delight more in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord. And the reason I think he's saying that is because we see this in, in all different parts of the Bible. We see it in some of Paul's other letters. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. At the end of Philippians in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We see it in the Psalms, Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. We see it in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and what it means to rejoice in the Lord is clarified by the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. To rejoice in the Lord is to, to take joy in God. Do you have any friends? Well, I know you have friends. Do you have any friends who you just love to be with? Do you have any friends who you just delight to be around? Do you have any friends and, and you end up talking about them to other people and just how brilliant they are because you just love them so much because you're just overjoyed that you have them in your life? 
got those people, that's what we're to do with the Lord. To rejoice in him, to delight in him, to be glad we've got him. To be glad we've got Christ. To be glad we've got all the blessings and benefits of the Lord in our life. Paul says, listen, Thessalonians, if you want to enjoy God more and more and more, then rejoice in him. Rejoice in him more and more and more. And what rejoicing is, it's, it's, it's from our emotions, isn't it? We're Presbyterians. Do we have emotions? You do, okay? We've got emotions. We have emotions. God's built us with emotions. He's, he's built us with feelings. And to rejoice in the Lord is, is to move beyond our head, declaring God is good, to letting our heart feel it. To move beyond our head, just thinking it's good to be a Christian, to letting our heart really feel it, to delight is an inward feeling and emotion. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, delight in the Lord. Delight in him and you'll enjoy him more and more. I was driving the boys to, to school this week and um, we listened to Sunshine 1049. It's a Christian radio station based in Belfast and if you haven't tuned in, it's, it's worth a listen. And we were driving to, to school and the sun was up. It was a beautiful morning, a bit like today. And we were driving to school and a song came on and it just said, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. I will sing of the goodness of God. And in that moment, I found myself delighting in the Lord. That's a little picture of what it's like. It's letting your emotions and your feelings just delight that you have God in your life. But Paul says, delight in the Lord, but then he says, always. Now, what does that mean? Again, does that mean that we're always having just to kind of be doing this? That it's just something we do kind of 24-7, 365, and if we don't, or we're not delighting in the Lord for five minutes at some point, we're, we're breaking this? No, again, it's a misunderstanding. The idea of, of doing something always is the idea of just making it a regular habit, making it something you just do, something that's just part of you. Um, I always brush my teeth. I always take a shower. I always use deodorant. I'm not just trying to convince you that I'm hygienic. But what I'm trying to show you there is that I always do these things, but it doesn't mean I'm always walking around with a toothbrush in my mouth, kind of spraying my armpits in the shower, you know. But I always do these things. They're regular. They're part of my life. They're, they're a habit. They're just something that I do always. And that's what Paul's saying. Rejoice in the Lord and just make it something you do. Make it something you do every day. As you see the sun split the trees, rejoice in the Lord for making them and, and letting you walk down and see it. As, as you spend time with your family and you hear the giggles, rejoice in the Lord for that blessing. As, as you go through your day and are aware of his presence with you, just, just rejoice that he's with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I just want to say from experience, if you make this part of your life, if this is what you do, if this just becomes habit, you will rejoice and you'll enjoy God more because you'll just be aware of his presence. I love that memory verse for the kids. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, when you rejoice in the Lord always, you're just aware that he's with you and you become delighted that he's there. The next thing then that Paul says is pray continually. So do we all need to go and be monks 
Is that the command there? Again, I think we can misunderstand this. I actually saw a very funny video um, of this, and it was it was wee sketch, and it was this man, and and he was just so tired, he was just coming, and he was walking around. You know, his friend was taking him around to, to get coffee, and he's trying to drink coffee, and and I said, "What are you doing? I'm I'm just fulfilling the command. Pray always, <laughs> you know, pray all the time. It's not that. Again, it's the habit. It's making talking to your father a regular part of your life." It's making talking to God just something that you do. And Paul is saying here that when we make talking to God part of our life, when it's a regular thing that we're doing, again, we'll come to enjoy him more and more and more. Now, Paul doesn't go into details, but I think there are are two types of prayer, two types of regular prayer that I think Paul would encourage us to have. And the first one would be just at times in the day when you intentionally pray. Times in the day when you intentionally take just a little bit of time and focus on praying to the Lord. If, if you look back into the history of the Bible and, and the history of the Old Testament, you'll see that the Jews seem to have a pattern of praying once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. We see it in the book of Daniel, don't we? It says there, in his upper rim, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. So Daniel prayed three times a day. We see it too in the life of David in Psalm 55. David says, as for me, I will call upon God. That's, that's words for prayer. I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And then we see it in Jesus, don't we? We see it that him very early in the morning before it's daylight getting up and going to pray. And we see it in the evening, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. The, the Jews seem to have this pattern of having a time of prayer in the morning, and time of prayer in the afternoon, and a time of prayer in the evening. And I'm not gonna be as kind of prescriptive to say, this is what you must do, but I think Paul is encouraging us as Christians to have points in the day when we intentionally turn to the Lord and pray. It might be in the morning. You you look at your day ahead, you get your diary out, you see all the things coming up and you just pray for the day ahead. It might be in the afternoon, you take five minutes and you pray for the people that you've met that day and you're gonna meet. It might be in the evening and and you look back on the day ahead that's been and, and you confess your sins and where you maybe missed the mark and you turn to Jesus and rejoice in him. But I wanna encourage you to enjoy the Lord more and more. Start to take time intentional time where you just talk to the Lord, where it's built into your day. But another type of praying that I think Paul might have had in mind, and and maybe he expanded this more with the Thessalonians, is the idea of having a continual conversation with the Lord. To, to, To spend your day from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, just talking to the Lord as you go through your day. When you're facing something hard, silently pray, asking him for help. When something delights you, silently pray, thanking him and and rejoicing that he's given it to you. When you meet someone, silently pray for them. I think that another type of prayer that can really help us enjoy the Lord is this continual conversation with the Lord as we go about our day. Sometimes in the church, we can think that it's the, the length of our prayers that matter, how long we pray. But there was a British evangelist called Smith Wigglesworth And he was a bit like a W.P. Nicholson. He was a man who preached and and people got saved and had their lives transformed. He was a powerful preacher. 
And one day, someone asked him about his prayer life. And what he said, I thought, was very interesting. He said, I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at one time. But I never go more than half an hour without praying. I rarely pray for more than half an hour. I'm not a prayer for a long time. I don't sit down and pray and pray and pray for hours. But it would be rare for me not to go half an hour without speaking to the Lord in some way. And I think this is the pattern of prayer, that a pattern of prayer that can help us to enjoy God more and more and more. I think it's something that can, can help us to just be aware of him and to delight in him in our everyday lives. And I want to encourage you to, to do that, to, to just start to speak to the Lord silently in your days. Finally then, we, we come to the last thing. And again, this is something I think that we can misunderstand. If you look at the text in verse 18, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it's important again we note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Do you notice that? He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Because let's face it, there are circumstances which we are not thankful for. Circumstances that we would rather not have. Circumstances that confuse us, that hurt us, that stress us, that frustrate us. Circumstances that really do make us question God's goodness. Circumstances that really do make us question if God is there at all. We have those times, don't we? But Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Instead, he says to give thanks in all circumstances. And that's different. And what I think Paul is getting at here is that whenever you're going through those most difficult times of life, and it's really hard to enjoy anything of God, one way that we can do it is that we can, we can look for the little glimpses of his, of his goodness, those little glimpses of goodness that we see, even in the darkest of times, those little, little bits of light coming through the darkness. And even when life is hard, we can enjoy something of God by thanking him for those little glimpses of goodness. This morning, if you're going through a difficult time, if this idea of enjoying God is a million miles from your mind, I understand that. But I also want to encourage you that you can, you can enjoy something of God, even in this moment, by looking for those little glimpses of goodness and turning those into thanks. Thank you for that person who came to see me and helped me so much. Thank you that I got through today without it being just completely terrible. Thank you that you helped me in that moment. Thank you that you've comforted me. Thank you that you've been there for me, Lord. In these difficult times, we can even enjoy something of God as we give him thanks for the glimpses of goodness that we see. And then there's the flip side. When life is good, when things are wonderful, when all is bright and sunny, when it feels like you're walking on air, again, we can enjoy God in those moments by recognizing that all of this goodness and all of these things are from him and by giving him thanks. I wonder this morning what your default prayer language is. For some of you, maybe you always feel guilty, so your default kind of prayer is always confession. 
For some of you, maybe you're always burdened by other people, so your default prayer is to pray for others. For you, maybe your default prayer is just to pray for help because you've got so much going on in your life that you need help with. Well, I want to encourage you that as you live out your day-to-day life, to make thanksgiving the default prayer of your heart. And as you begin to thank God, and as you become aware of God's goodness, and as you become aware that all things are from him, I guarantee you will enjoy him more and more and more. But folks, this isn't just Paul's kind of idea for the Thessalonians. This isn't just my kind of idea for you. This is the Lord's will for us. We see that, don't we, at the end of verse 18. Do these things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to do these things and enjoy him more and glorify him more. So do these things. This morning, do you enjoy God? That's my question. Do you enjoy him? Would you like to enjoy him more? Do you want to enjoy him? Well, if you do, you have a choice this morning and and the, the choice is very simple. If you're not yet a Christian, the choice is to trust in Christ and be brought into a relationship with God. If you don't know God, if he's a stranger to you, if you don't know who he is, then you can't enjoy him. I can't enjoy being friends with someone I don't know. But this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, you can be brought into a right relationship with the Lord and enjoy him. And the way you do that is by trusting Jesus to make it possible. Putting your trust in Christ to forgive your sins, which, which stops you enjoying God and to come into a right relationship with him. And if that sounds confusing and difficult, I'll be outside at the end. Have a chat with me. We'll talk about it. We'll meet for a coffee. But if you're a Christian here, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you do know something of enjoying God, but you want to enjoy him more and more and more, then you need to make a choice. And the choice is to actually do these things. There's no point in walking out here and saying, that was an interesting wee sermon, wasn't it? That was good to hear for him over there. No point in that. What's the point? It's useless. I'm telling you, if you want to enjoy God more, then we do what the Lord says, what his will is here. Leave here with a determination to live differently, to put these things into action, to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And I guarantee you will enjoy God more and more and more. Folks, we have a wonderful God this morning. It's good to know him. But please do remember that God will be most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so, so good. And many of us can testify that all of our life you've been faithful. You've brought us through the most difficult of times. You've held us up when we felt like we were going to fall down. You've brought joy in the midst of sorrow. You've shown us glimpses of your goodness even in the darkest of days. And you have also given us wonderful days, days full of joy and happiness where we have so much to delight in. Lord, you are such a good God and you've given us so many good things for our joy. But Lord, we declare this morning that the thing that we are most glad of is knowing you. We are most glad to have you in our lives. And Father, we would ask you this morning to help us to put these things into practice, that we may grow to enjoy you more and more and more 
so that you might be more glorified in our lives. Put these words on our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit and give us the determination and all we need to begin to put them into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.